All right, if you haven't taken your seats yet, please take your seats. We're going to get uh, started with our teaching time. Uh, once again, for those of you that might not have been here a couple weeks ago, Ricky Hale is uh, joined the teaching team, and so he's going to be team teaching with me probably a couple times a month going forward. But I uh, just really appreciate Ricky and his, uh, you know, just ready to be available and be used uh, however God wants him to be used. And so we're going we're gonna to be using him to help us with our teaching on Sundays. So that's exciting, exciting for us. Uh, many of you probably were watching the video there at the end from the Passion uh, of the Christ. And uh, it's sometimes difficult to watch that, especially that garden scene. Because whenever we think of Judas, we think of what? What comes to mind? Traitor, exactly. When we think of Judas, we think of traitor. We think of somebody that uh, is in the business of betrayal, right? Being betrayed. And Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Uh, The question I have for each one of us is, is how many of us can think, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us have been betrayed? Maybe by a close family member or, or an acquaintance or a boss or, or something like that. But maybe another question that sometimes we don't think of is, have we been the betrayer in somebody else's life? That's a sobering thought. Uh, and that's a sobering question that, I mean, we really need to wrestle with in our lives if we want to make sure that relationships that we have in our lives are healthy and they're uh, healing and they're restored and we have good relationships That's a question that each one of us needs to ask. But I know that if you have been betrayed in your life, that is a difficult situation to walk through. Because there's there's a lot of basic human instincts that that kick in at that point in time. Basically, you just want to flight or fight, right? Isn't that it? Fight or flight in that relationship. Or or many times, uh, we just want to tell them off right? You just want to get that righteous indignation and, uh, and go ahead and give them the what for. Or maybe you want to return the hurt, an eye for an eye kind of a concept. Well, they hurt me, so I'm going to hurt them back, and I might even hurt them a little bit more. That's vengeance. And we have those thoughts. We're human. That's a basic human instinct. Or we just terminate the relationship. If you're one of those people that don't like conflict, then what you'll do is you'll terminate the relationship or you'll be just kind of one word answers when you're around this person or whatever, just maybe be a little colder towards them. Avoid eye contact, maybe avoid the person altogether. Maybe we resort to passive aggressive behavior. There's a lot of these things going on in our lives that we really need to be honest with ourselves when we have been betrayed by somebody especially a a close person. Well, we're going to be dealing with that subject today as we look at the personality of Judas. Now, in this series, Protégé, we're four weeks into the series. The first couple weeks, we took a a look at Peter, and then we took a look at John. And last week, we took a, a look at Mary Magdalene. And that was a very interesting study, I thought. And we saw really how Jesus likes or loves to use unlikely people. And I made the comment, that's me and that's you, unlikely people. But when we look at the the disciples and, and the people that really Jesus invested in, they were unlikely people. They had a lot of problems and they had a lot of things going on. This week, 
we're going to look at how Jesus discipled Judas, another very unlikely choice. Uh, we know if, if you've been around the Bible, the, the end of the story is very tragic uh, because Judas eventually takes his own life after he, he tries to, to try to make things right in his own way. But he takes his own life at the end, and that's very tragic. But have you ever thought that it didn't have to end that way? It didn't have to end that way. And so we're going to be taking a look at that. Turn to your Bibles with me. In Matthew, we're going to start in chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. If you don't have a Bible uh, with you, we have some Bibles available back at the connection counter. And if you don't have one at home, it's yours to keep. It's a gift from us to you. But we are going to be in Matthew chapter 10. We'll start at verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. And here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. And then Andrew, which was Peter's brother. And then James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee or the sons of thunder. And we talked about John two weeks ago. Then there was Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and then we have Judas Iscariot, and it says, who later betrayed Jesus. So what do we actually know about Judas? We don't know really a whole lot about him. Obviously, he was the traitor. He was the betrayer of Jesus. But his last name uh, that we call Judas Iscariot, Iscariot really wasn't his last name. It was uh, a region where he was from. It was actually uh, Karioth is the place. And I think I have, yeah, and it's kind of tough to see. I apologize. But Karioth is down here in southern Judah. And all the other disciples were from Galilee up here by the Sea of Galilee. Pretty far. It's a, a little more than 100 miles, maybe 110, 120 miles, something like that. So really, Judas was kind of an outsider compared to the Galileans, which was the rest of the disciples. So just an interesting thought there about that. What I really want to focus on, though, is let's go back to verse 1 that we read out of Matthew. Jesus chose him to be one of the 12. Jesus chose him to be one of the 12. And the other thing that's really important, I believe, is that Jesus also gave Judas power to cast out demons and to heal sick people. And that's just interesting. I don't know if we've ever stopped to think about that. But Judas was selected by Jesus and he received authority just like the other 11 disciples did. Here's what I want you to write down if you're taking notes. And there's notes available. You can get up and move. There's notes available here and they're also in the back if you want to take notes. Judas was chosen by Jesus. That's the first thing we need to understand is Judas was chosen by Jesus. From everything that we can gather, uh, Judas had just as much, much ministry success as the other disciples. Peter, James, and John, I mean, we got the, kind of the three amigos, you know, Jesus' inner circle, but they had, Judas had just as much success, so to speak, in ministry. If we remember a few weeks back, we talked about how Jesus sent them out two by two. Well, Judas was part of that 
sending out. You know, it doesn't name all of the disciples, but it says that Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. And, and what were they doing? They were healing. They were casting out demons. They were ministering to the people that they were coming in contact with. Judas was a part of that group. So I guess what I'm saying is that Judas wasn't a second-class disciple. He was a front-line disciple with the other 11. And he was chosen by Jesus as part of the inner circle of 12. Ricky's going to read us another part out of John. So there's a lot of speculation. There are a lot of ideas about why Judas did what he did. We're not going to go into that. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of opinions. But the Bible gives us a really clear understanding of Judas's character and if you turn to John 12, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary, so this is the sister of Lazarus and Martha, took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold in the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So, I've heard a lot of messages focusing on Judas and what Judas did. But what we're focused on is how Jesus treated his disciples how he brought them along. Jesus chose Judas. He empowered Judas. In this passage we just read, he corrected Judas. And if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, we talked about correction or the word rebuking. And the big idea, the big idea then was that correction is not rejection. The Bible's very clear that God corrects those he loves. So this shows that Judas was someone that Jesus loved. With Jesus, everyone gets a do-over. We've seen this in this series alone. You can see this uh, with Peter. Peter was a big mouth. He was a very hot-tempered man. He was very quick to act and slow to think. And Jesus always gave him a do-over. He always corrected him and brought him back. John, son of thunder, same thing. He was always saying these stupid things. He was the disciple that Jesus loved. One of the reasons that he rebuked him or corrected him all the time. And last week, we talked about Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary Magdalene, she didn't just get a simple do-over. She had seven demons cast out of her. Her entire life from that point was a do-over. Judas had some character flaws. 
we all have some character flaws. Um, some of the character flaws, when we dive into Judas, yes, Judas betrayed Jesus. We look at that and go, oh my gosh, Judas betrayed Jesus. And right then we kind of separate him out of what we can relate to. But some of the character flaws of Judas are not far from what we deal with. The first one is lust. Now, you hear the word lust and you think about sex. But lust is defined as a strong desire for something. Um, Lucas had a really good example. Pregnant women, pickles, ice cream. (laughs) Now, with my wife, it was ice cream. It was specifically blizzards from Dairy Queen. Um, But I would say that there were times that she did lust after them. And I can attest to that by the fact that I drove up to Dairy Queen, got them, drove back. So Judas lusted after money. And we hear about that here because he took money from what he was given responsibility over. He was the guy in charge of the money for the disciples. And he just took it whenever he wanted to. Entitlement. That's one of those examples. Entitlement. He felt like he was entitled to that money. He took care of it. Why should he have to ask permission? He just grabbed it. Now, there's some entitlement issues that we deal with as well. So one of those things, we could say sex outside of marriage. We are, we know that the Bible says that we should not engage in sex outside of marriage. But we feel entitled. So why not go hook up with somebody in a bar? Who's going to know? It's our right. Why, why can't we do that? Or let's say we're in the bar and we've had a couple of beers. We know we should stop. We know this, that, okay, that's my limit. I'm not going anywhere past that. But then, you know what? It's been a hard day. It was, it was rough at work today. Had a bad day. Got in a fight with somebody. Got in an argument. I was driving around and, you know, somebody pulled in front of me and kind of ticked me off. So I think I deserve one more beer. That's a dangerous word, deserve. When you start thinking about that, you need to think about, am I having an entitlement issue? Anyone ever taken anything from your company? Now, we see these things in the news all the time about people embezzling thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. But what about little things? Pens, pencils, paper clips. You know, I could really use a, t- a pad of paper at home. Those, uh, those sticky notes are really nice for messages around the house to the kids and the wife and stuff like that. What's the big deal? Nobody's going to know. They replenish this stuff. I work here. They don't pay me enough. I deserve this. One of the other character flaws of Judas was pride. And in this passage we just read, Mary did something that was just really amazing for Jesus. Now, this this jar of perfume she had was very valuable. But even more valuable 
was the person sitting in her house. Mm -hmm. She broke it. She anointed his feet. She wiped his feet with her hair. She humbled herself to the point of giving away something that was incredibly valuable. She got down on her knees. She cleaned Jesus' feet with it. And Jesus' own words, she anointed him for the burial that was coming up. What was Judas's attitude towards that? Well, I've got a better idea than that. Why did she waste this? We could have given this money to the poor. And Jesus rebuked him. Jesus corrected him. If you've read the story of Judas, you know that it ends in tragedy. But right there, when Jesus corrected him, that was one of those opportunities for him to come back. And he had others. This didn't have to end in tragedy because with Jesus, everyone gets a do-over. And Bob's going to tell us about somebody else in the Old Testament who got a do-over. Yeah, there's a great personality in the Old Testament uh, who has similar character flaws to Judas. Uh, But this story ends much, much differently. His name is Samson. And if you know anything about Samson, uh, he had a lot of flaws. He had a lot lot of problems going on. Now, Samson, is uh, his story is in Judges, uh, primarily between chapters 13 and 16. But just a couple of things about Samson. Before he was born, God revealed to his parents that Samson would bring deliverance to Israel from their enemies. And God said Samson was to observe what what they called a Nazarite lifestyle. And, And here are the three vows that a Nazarite takes. First of all, Samson was never supposed to cut his hair. That was number one. Uh, The second thing is he wasn't supposed to touch a dead corpse, either human or animal. And then the third thing was is that he was never to touch or consume alcohol. So those are the three things that Nazarites take as their Nazarite vows. But we see that Samson had the same character flaws as Judas. And, and I think these stories that we're going to take a look at will really illustrate that very well. The first thing we talked about with Judas was lust. And so in Judges chapter 14, 1 through, four, 1 through 3, it says this. One day Samson was in Timnah. One of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother. Listen, listen to what Samson says. This is just crazy. A young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her to me. That's it. I want to marry her. Get her to me. But his father and his mother obviously objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites that you could marry? They asked, why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. Wow, that's a bold statement. I mean, that has pride, entitlement, and lust all over it in one. But we're just focusing on the lust. He just lusted after this woman. And it didn't matter the consequences. It didn't matter about his Nazarite vow. And he wanted his 
parents to be involved in, in the whole thing too, to just go get her and bring her to him. That's lust, and that's a powerful lust that Samson didn't deal with. The second thing was entitlement that we talked about Judas. Now, if you go to Judges 14, 8, and 9, it says this. Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. And he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in this carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. Entitlement. That doesn't even begin, or that, that's not where he stops, and he has the entitlement himself. Let's read what happens next. He also gave some to his father and mother. So not only did he break this Nazarite vow, but he was in a, you know, had his parents break this vow as well, and they ate it too because they, they had no idea what was going on. But he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. And like I made mention before, they weren't supposed to touch anything that was dead, a dead corpse, human or animal. So that's number two. That's the second thing we see in Samson's life is this entitlement. And there's other illustrations as well in his life. The third thing we see is pride. And without a doubt, much of the trouble Samson got into was because of his great pride. But at the end of his life, he was humble enough to turn back to God. And that's the difference here that we want to illustrate between Judas and Samson. They both had the same problems, but at the end of the day, how they dealt with it was much, much different. Judges sixteen twenty-eight through 30 says this, Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. O God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back to the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. And if you don't know the whole story, we're not going to talk about the whole story of Samson. But obviously, at this point in time, he doesn't have any eyes. His eyes were gouged out. He was just in chains, and he was beaten, and he was at the end of his rope. Then Samson put his hands to the two center pillars that held up the temple. Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people that were there. So he killed more Philistines when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. Because remember, he was supposed to be a deliverer of some sort. He was supposed to bring, bring deliverance to Israel over the Philistines. That was what God set him apart to do. But because he didn't, he just lived his life lustfully, full of entitlement and full of pride. He did not live his life the way that he was supposed to. But at the end, what did he do? And that's the difference. At the end, he humbled himself. He prayed to the Lord and the Lord blessed him. Samson really wasted his life. He wasted a lot of years. But in the end, when he called out to God, God heard him. And Samson got one last do-over. That's the lesson we learn here from Samson. Now, the question that I have for each one of us is what would have happened if Judas had called out to God? 
What would have happened if Judas, even after the betrayal, if Judas had called out to God instead of going and hanging himself? Let's go to 2 Peter 3.9. This is a great Bible verse right here. Gives us a lot of insight. The Lord does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That includes Judas. The Lord wants everyone to repent. And you know what? Do you know what the word everyone means in Greek? This is fascinating. It means everyone. That's what it means. There is no mystery here with the Greek language. It means everyone. Everyone gets a do-over with God. With Jesus, even Judas could have had a do-over. And, and really, what I think is fascinating as well is what most likely are the last words that Jesus said to Judas. Let's go and read those words real quick. In Matthew 26, verses 47 through 50, it says this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus and said these words, Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed. And then Judas gave the kiss. Now think about that from Jesus' perspective. He's just spent the night in the garden, and if you know that Bible story, he was in such anguish over what was about to what he was about to undergo that he actually sweated drops of blood. And I've heard, you know, teachers teach on that, and, and there's there's good medical backup that says that that can happen in the moment of anguish. That is an anguish that I, I don't even understand. But that's the anguish that Jesus went through in that garden. And then he's confronted with Judas. And he kisses him. And then what does Jesus say? This is, just blows me away. My friend, even at the end, he calls out and he says, my friend, go ahead and do what you've come for. Even in the moment of betrayal, Jesus called Judas my friend. To me, that's amazing. With Jesus, everyone gets a do-over. Judas eventually took his own life. He just didn't get who Jesus was. He spent as much time with Jesus as the other disciples did. But I think the, the things that clouded his judgment, the character flaws that we saw, the focus on money, pride, entitlement, I think those things blinded Judas to who Jesus was. <clears throat> now, in the end, we see that he feels guilty about what he did because he got paid 30 pieces of silver. 
And in the end, he tried to return it. He tried to fix the problem himself. Again, still not getting who Jesus was. Then he kills himself. That's the big one for me about how he didn't get who Jesus was. Think about Peter for a second. He denied Jesus three times. Got a do-over after Jesus came back. If Judas had just gotten it, where would he have been? What would have happened with him? But he didn't. He didn't get it. He was in such despair, he didn't see any hope, even after spending the time he had spent with Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to pray. But I want to ask a couple questions. We have the privilege and the benefit of having the word of God. We get to read about what happened when Jesus was on this earth. Not only while it was happening, but we get to see the outcome of some of these stories. God gave us his word so that we don't have to go down the same paths as men like Judas. We can see what happened. We can learn from their mistakes. Everyone in here has been betrayed at one time or another. You felt that feeling. Everyone in here has probably betrayed someone, given away a secret, something like that, uh, threw somebody under the bus. I have. The Bible says the Lord is not willing for anyone to perish. That means we get do-overs. It doesn't mean the it doesn't say that the Lord is not willing to let any perfect person perish. It says he's not willing to let any of us go. When we live our lives for ourselves, when we sin, when we break God's law, we betray Jesus. We betray what he's asking us to do, how he's asking us to live. I've been there. Hate to say it, but I've been there more than once. But I got a do-over. And it may seem simple, but it's just going to God in prayer and asking forgiveness and asking him to cleanse you. Sometimes we look at that and we go, it's just too simple for what I've done. That's pride. If you think that the blood that Jesus shed is not enough to cover your sin, you're wrong. It would have easily covered what Judas did and he betrayed him to death. Have you betrayed the Lord? Have you done your own thing, walked your own way? And now you're facing this decision as to how do I fix this? Don't try. 
Don't try. It's not your job to fix it. Have you betrayed somebody you love? Have you betrayed a family member, a friend, a husband or wife, son or daughter? Have you betrayed someone you love? Go and ask forgiveness. Come clean. Apologize. Don't hold that stuff in. Don't hold it back. You're robbing yourself of an opportunity to be forgiven. And you're robbing that person of an opportunity to forgive. Have you been betrayed by someone? Like I said, everybody in here understands those feelings. And there's one of two things we can do when we're betrayed by someone. We can let it fester and we can grow bitter. Or we can extend grace and forgiveness just like Jesus has done for us. If you're in that position and you feel like this is your day to make that decision. I'd like for everybody to bow their heads, please. We're going to pray. If, if you feel like this is the opportunity, and it doesn't have to just be here, but today we're going to give you that opportunity. If any of this has touched you, if any of it has stirred some emotions, some feelings, some memories, and you're ready to let that stuff go. Whether you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, or whether you did at some time in the past, and you're at that point where you need to come back to Him. I want you to repeat after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for the grace. Thank you for the mercy. Thank you for the love that gives me my do-over, that brings me back into a right standing before God. I believe that you came to earth lived a sinless life and died to pay for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead and in that I have the promise of eternal life. I pray that you would forgive me. I pray that you would cleanse me I pray that you would wash me clean. I give my life to you. I turn over anything that I'm holding on to, to you. And I ask all of these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. We're going to have the uh, prayer team over here against the wall. So if you made that decision today, either to come to Jesus for the first time 
or to come back to him, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. First, before the end of service, please mark that on your Connect card. We really want to know how we can partner with you. And the other thing is let someone else know. Tell somebody else. Celebrate this with somebody else. It is a good day when you come back into the fold. When you come back under the protection and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And if if there's no one with you right now that you can tell, go to the prayer ministry team. Let them pray for you. That's what they want. We want to partner with you as a church. We want to welcome you into the family. Right now, as everyone's going to the prayer ministry team, Ryan is going to sing a song for us. And uh, I'll be back up in a few minutes. Thanks, guys. So every week we have next steps. Um, So we don't leave you hanging about, okay, what do I do now? Here's what you do now. We've been talking about discipleship, both making disciples and being disciples. So for you disciple makers which should be pretty much anybody who is a disciple. We need to make disciples. If you're discipling someone, if you're mentoring someone, make sure that you provide a lot of do-overs. Extend a lot of mercy. Don't quit on people. We tend to default when someone betrays us, when someone hurts us, we tend to default to bitterness and revenge. We need to change our default to grace. We need to change our default to mercy. We need to change our default to love. Make sure that you offer people do-overs because we've all been offered do-overs. Now, for disciples, which again is all of us, if someone offers you a do-over, take it. Take it. Jesus offers you a do-over. Every time you find yourself in a place where you're like, oh man, I messed up. Don't forget, there's a do-over right there. You don't have to walk through any punishment that is preconceived before you can go to Christ and ask forgiveness. You can do it right there, right then, as soon as you figure out, I screwed up. Now, there are always natural consequences, but we're talking eternity here. We're talking the ability to walk with Christ daily. Accept the do-over. Address character flaws. Today we talked about lust, entitlement, and pride. And pretty much anything we do that screws us up can be boiled down to one of these. So address the character flaws. How do you address the character flaws? Read God's Word. Spend time in prayer. 
Find someone that you trust and let them know that these are things you struggle with. We have a men's group on Wednesday mornings at 6 o'clock. And one of the reasons we have men's groups is so that men can come together and share each other's burdens. And I know that there are women's groups, there are Bible studies available, but I've found and have been told that women tend to share more than men do. don't know if you guys have ever noticed that, but women seem to be a little more open with each other than men are. Find somebody you can share those struggles with. Call them up. Have some coffee. Make sure you get those things in your life out in the open. When you have some time this week, read the full story of Samson. It's, it's an awesome story. It's an awesome story of redemption after a life of gluttony and lust and just doing his own thing. I mean, if you, if you really want to go, yeah, am I really that bad? Read Samson. And then you can go, okay, well, if God gave him a do-over, I, I can get my own. And now, if you can please mark your connection cards, fill them out, whether you're new or whether you've been coming here forever, please fill out your connection cards, as much information as you're comfortable with sharing. And we have baskets to your left at each one, end of each one of the rows. Um, Ryan and the group is, are going to do a celebration song here in just a second. So while they're doing that, while we're singing along with them and celebrating, grab those baskets, pass them down, put your connection cards, put your offering in them, and uh, pass them to all the way to your right. And we have ushers who will pick them up. Thank you guys for coming. Enjoy the celebration song. Uh, Partake of the celebration song with us and have a great rest of your week. Nicely said. All right, guys, everybody on.